Father, we, uh, we just bless you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this weekend. Lord, as we uh, reflect on, uh, on this weekend and why we celebrate or why we honor this weekend, Memorial Day, we think about those that uh, even in our own families, perhaps there's some here that have lost a, uh, a loved one in a war and uh, maybe that wound is still uh, fresh and uh, perhaps is lingering. And Lord, I just want to pray your healing hand on all of those that... Uh, have lost loved ones, those that are still uh, dealing with sorrow and grief, we pray for your healing hand to be upon them. And uh, also want to just thank you for the families that have loved ones that have laid down their lives, Lord, for the service of our nation, so that we can stand here today and in this building, in this place, and, and we can speak our hearts and our minds, regardless of what anyone else thinks. We have the freedom of speech, and that's partly because of those that have gone before us and laid their lives down for our nation, protecting our rights here as Americans. We bless you for that. Thank you for those families, and thank you for the individuals that have given their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we're going to be, if you want to uh, uh, just jump ahead in your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1 to begin with, and then uh, most of our study today will be uh, out of Genesis chapter 1. But in, um, it's interesting, I think Benji uh, taught on this a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if he taught on it, but he did mention it, how the uh, two passages of Scripture are very similar in the way that they start out, and they both start out with, in the beginning. And from John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and we know that that Word, speaking about the Word, was speaking about Jesus Christ. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shined into darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. That's from John 1.5. Just another uh, illustration from the New Testament before we get to Genesis um, I'll use Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, speaking about Jesus again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. And then Ephesians 3 kind of reiterates the same thing. I won't go there. So uh, as, we, as we get into Genesis, as we begin Genesis... Um, I want you to just—I want you to think about this, and it will—it will help you understand, um, you know, the story of creation. But the first three days, we see God creating a space. He's creating spaces in the first three days, and then in the next three days, He's creating objects to fill those three spaces that He created in the first three days. So, if you keep that in mind, it'll be easier easier to understand as we move through this. It says, in the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God saw, that light, saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now keep in mind, this is not talking about the sun 
We don't see the sun and the moon and the stars created until day four. So this is day one. And it says that God created the light. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And the light and, the God, and God saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. That's how Jews, the Jewish calendar begins, even today. The evening and the morning are the first day. Or they count, you know, the day begins at evening and ends at sunset the, the following day. So we see on the first day, we see uh, matter and we see energy and we see light and we see darkness and we see time. We see a dividing of time. I mean, just imagine a world where there was no uh, darkness. It was just all light. I mean, it would, uh, you know, it would be hard to differentiate, you know, uh, time. I was just like, how do you tell time if there's, you know, never any darkness? But God used both light and darkness. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and he created time in this on the, on the first day. Now, I mean, as we think about this, and, and this is a, a subject really, I don't even feel qualified to be standing up here and talking to you about, but I've done a lot of research this week, and so hopefully it, when, it, when we finish, it makes sense. But our galaxy, our galaxy that we live in and on, Earth that we live on, part of the galaxy, is spinning at 490,000 miles an hour, if you can get your mind around that. And it, spinning at 490,000 miles an hour it takes 200 million years for our galaxy to complete one rotation, okay? And there are over 1 billion galaxies in our, you know, in the universe, all right? Billions of them. And some scientists say that if you were to count all of the stars in these galaxies, they would add up to more than the grains of sands that we have on our seas right now. That's hard to imagine because, I mean, you can scoop up a, a, a handful of sand on the beach, and, I mean, it's almost impossible to count. You know, I mean, how do you count all the grains just in a, a handful of sand? And scientists are saying that our galaxies have more uh, stars than the sand on the beaches in all the world. And so... Uh, as I mentioned, that, uh, that God, he, create, he has created uh, uh, matter and energy and light and darkness and time all on the first day, and he says that it was good. He says the, the evening and the morning uh, were the first day. And um, let me just say that, so if we have light and if we have darkness, and the sun and the moon and the stars don't really happen until four days later in, in creation, where did the light come from? Okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to be bold and jump out. First John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And so when God shows up, Light shows up. And we can see that. I mean, you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, when John sees Jesus, I mean, it's just like, I mean, the, the first thing that stands out is light. I mean, just boom, light. When, um, you know, when the prophets of old had, had encounter, encounters with angels, many times it was just a bright flash of light. They're seeing light. And so we see that in, in day one uh, of creation, we've got, 
light and we've got darkness. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like that they represent. I mean, we know that, and I, and I just want to talk about this for a second. Uh, there's going to be two creations, earth creations. You understand that. There's going to be two creations of heaven and earth. The one that we're reading about now and one that's coming at a future date. Uh, after the millennial reign, we understand that God is going to do his work all over again. He's going to create a new heaven, and he's going to create a new earth. And so the question begs, uh, why? I mean, didn't he get it right the first time? I mean, was there a problem with the first creation? You know, what is, what's God doing? What's God up to? Did he make a mistake the first time? Um, well, as we, as we read through this, and for those of you that know the Revelation story, we know that in Revelation that there is no sun and there is no artificial light. It says that God himself is light. And so we, we're starting to see a contrast between the first creation, the, the creation that we're reading about right now, versus the creation that's coming in a future day. Uh, so there, there won't be a sun in the next creation because God himself uh, and the Lamb is the light of the city. Um, and so uh, we read again, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide uh, waters from water. Thus God made a firmament and divided waters which were under the firmament uh, from waters that were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. And so we see that, you know, God is still creating spaces. He created, you know, the first one was the light space, and then, and, and darkness, uh, the dark space, and now we see God creating another space, a firmament called heaven. But it's just heaven. There's nothing really there. The evening and the morning were the second day. Now, in the, um, uh, the Jewish word for uh, a translation for heaven is uh, shamayim. Um, and it means uh, there, there are three words for heaven in the Jewish vocabulary. Um, and they, don't, they, they all mean the same thing. There are three, actually three different heavens described in their language. The one is the, um, the first heaven is, is the atmosphere that we have today between the earth and what we would call outer space, this atmosphere where the birds fly and the sky and the rain and all of that abides there, uh, that's the first heaven. And the second heaven is above that, and we'll see, uh, we'll talk about that uh, more as we visit the fourth day. But that's where the sun and the moon and the stars uh, are in the, the quote, the second heaven. And then you will remember that there is a, a third heaven that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, and it says that he was caught up to this third heaven, and this is the throne room, the very throne room of the living God. This is where God is. So you had the first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly. The second he uh, heaven is the what we would call the universe where the stars and, and our galaxies and our universe, so sun and moon and stars are. And then above that is the third heaven where, where, where is which is God's third, uh, throne room. In verse 9 it says, And then God said, Let there be water under the heavens. Uh, let the waters be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And so it was, and God called the dry land earth. 
And uh, that's also the meaning of Adam's name is earth because he was taken from the earth. It says, And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the water he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. Now, this, uh, you know, I, I want us to just consider this, this, uh, this correlation between the, the heavens and the earth that we're talking about now and the ones that will be created at a future date. That we know that, uh, that we have a sea now, but in the new heaven, there won't be a sea. Um, the Bible says that this, the, the word uh, sea often translates to home. And it's often a synonym for death uh, or for going or a holding place for the dead. The sea is. We, we read in Jonah chapter 2 verse 5. And Jonah, when he was in the belly of the, of the great fish, it says, The waters encompassed uh, uh, me to the point of death. And the great deep engulfed me, and weeds were wrapping around my head. And Jonah's talking about going to the place of the dead. But we know that in the new heaven and the new earth that there is no death, that, you know, that death is only you know, common here in this place, in this, in this heaven, in this earth, that brought about by sin. And so the, uh, the sea becomes a metaphor, or the depths of the sea becomes a metaphor for, for the dying or for the dead or for the abyss. Uh, it, it's, it's the same thing. Micah says, uh, another uh, scripture that kind of uh, emphasizes this as well, it says that Micah says in chapter 7, verse 19, that God will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And so uh, we see the, the sea again uh, being used as a metaphor for, for holding, a holding of all of our sins. But in the new heaven and the new earth, there, there is no sin. So there's no need for a sea there as well. God said in verse 11, And let the earth bring forth grass and herbs that yield seed, and fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herbs that yielded seed according to its kind, and trees that yielded forth fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. And it's interesting to note here that we have vegetation, we have trees that are grown. These are mature trees that are grown and producing fruit. Um, we, have, uh, uh, we have grass and, and, and herbs and, and all kind of fruit. Everything is, is just like everything is happening. And keep in mind, we still don't have a sun yet. This is all being done just with the light uh, that was created on, on day one or the light that, that appeared on day one. And so, um, I, I want to just stop here for a second and, um, and give you uh, just a little bit of background because um, I know that as Christians, sometimes it is hard for us to defend our faith. And I know that Paul or Peter uh, is telling us to be ready to give an account, to, you know, to be able to defend the faith. And, and so... If we have scientists today, and, and by the way, the, the thought of the earth being old is, uh, that didn't really happen until the 19th century. This is only this thought, or, or uh, this, this, uh, uh, th this thought 
that the earth is an old earth is only within the last couple of hundred years. But can you imagine with what we know, what science knows today, that uh, if, if Darwin or, or some other scientist today showed up on, on this day, on day number three, when you've got full-grown trees that are there that are producing fruit, and they were able to take a saw and cut the tree down, and they would start counting the rings of the tree to find out how old that tree was, right? Isn't that what a good scientist would do? You know, you want to find out the facts? And he would count and find out that the tree is, hey, it's a 40-year-old tree or a 50-year-old tree. But God's saying he just created that tree. And so sometimes, you know, uh, when, when, when scientists are saying that the age of the earth has to be older than what we're saying the age of the earth is, and according to the Bible, the earth is about 6,000 years old. And so Christians have been married to this idea that the earth is billions of years old because you don't want to look stupid. I mean, after all, a, a scientist with, like I said, that has more degrees than a thermometer last week, you know, is telling you that the earth is old and it's billions of years old and millions of years old. And so how do we justify that? So we, uh, there, there are a number of theories. One is called the gap theory. I'm just telling you this, okay? This is what is out there. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you studied it in school. There's, uh, what is called the gap theory, and that is between day, the creation of day one and day two, that there were millions and perhaps even billions of years that happened that God created in stages. And so that sounds logical to a Christian. Sound okay, I can... You know, I can, I can handle that. Um, uh, and the other one is the day-age theory, um, which means that the days are a lot longer than we thought that they are. Instead of the day being a 24-hour day, it was a, a million year or 5 million or 10 million or 100 million, you know, uh, uh, part of time. And uh, But we know that all of these scriptures, by the way, that... The, when it talks about the evening and the morning, and it talks about the day, there are over 2,300 times in the scripture that the Bible talks about a day. And every one of those, there's only nine occasions where it doesn't mean a 24-hour period. Uh, there is what is called the day of the Lord. And we know that uh, that is at the end times, and, and that's like a seven-year period uh, you know, it, uh, it starts with the, with the rapture, uh, with the Antichrist coming on the scene, and we see this seven-year um, tribulation period, and it's called the day of the Lord, where God works during that, that time. But other than that, uh, there are 2,300 times, including these verses right here, mean a 24-hour period, a day. Um, the day was a 12-hour period, and the night was a 12-hour period. And so um, we, we, we continue on verse 14, and God said, now this is the beginning. We've gone through three times where God is creating spaces, and now we're going to go through three days where God is creating, uh, you know, uh, something, subjects or objects to fill those spaces. And this is the first one. And God said, let there be light in the firmament 
of the heavens. Remember, we talked about the three heavens, the atmosphere, the universe, and God's throne. He says, let there be lights in the firmament. So we know right away uh, the heaven that he's talking about is the second heaven, uh, the universe. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven uh, to divide the day and night and let them be for, listen, this is what they're for. They're for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And so, you know, just thinking, I mean, just taking God's word at, at face value, literally taking God's word at face value. If God is saying that I'm going to give you stars in the heaven, if he's telling Adam that I'm going to give you stars in the heaven for signs and for seasons and uh, for days and for years, you know, what scientists are saying is that God created a star that is a million or a billion light years away, that it's impossible for Adam to see that because Adam's only been on the earth for a day. So it's impossible for Adam to see it because it takes millions and billions of light years traveling, light traveling at 186,000 miles a second. You know, it takes, you know, the light years that it would take for Adam to actually see that. But doesn't it make sense to, to you and I that if God is able to create this universe, you know, can't he create this stream of light from this star or for this planet at the same time so that, boom, you've got a planet or a star and you've got a beam of light? I mean, you know, are we putting a God in a box and saying that he's not able to do that? Doesn't it make sense? I mean, otherwise, it's meaningless. What God is saying to Adam, I'm giving you these stars for, for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, but if Adam's got to wait around for 100 million light years for it to get there, uh, I don't think he'd live that long. Uh, it doesn't make sense. But what makes more sense is that God created it. He created the, the star, the planet, the universe, and he created the light, and the light was shining at the same time. And so it says that, uh, that God said, let there be light dividing the heaven, the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be a light in the firmament of the heaven and give light on the earth, and so it was. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. I think it's interesting here that God, he's naming a lot of things, but he doesn't name the greater light, which we know is to be the sun, and the lesser light to be the moon. I won't take time to go into why he didn't do that, but speculation is this, that God tells, he warns the people in Deuteronomy not to worship the host of heaven not to worship the stars or the sun and the moon, not to be worshipers, uh, you know, of, of the heavenly host. And yet his people still did that. And it says, and God set the lesser or the, uh, God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening and morning were the first, uh, fourth day. Um, you know, let me just, I know that Christians typically will, um, the, as I mentioned, there was a gap theory, there's the recreation theory that ha all of this has supposedly happened between uh, day one and day two where God calls this vast amount of time 
and in the uh, gap and recreation theory, it's, uh, they, you know, scientists have come up with that or, or others have come up with that um, to say that, you know, this is when Satan came and, and God had to start, you know, if you read uh, Genesis chapter 2, it's almost like reading a totally different story because some of the creation is a little bit out of order. But when you read this, I want you to keep in mind that, that Moses is writing this. This book is written by Moses. Um, Moses was not too far removed. Remember in those days that life was extended to, uh, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine hundred years, you know, long, that individuals would live that long. And so there was probably only a couple of hundred years uh, between Moses and, uh, you know, uh, and, and possibly Noah, uh, and, uh, and it's possible that, you know, this could have been, you know, passed on, passed down to him. Uh, the story is just being told and retold and retold, and that's why some family and, you know, the family tree, every once in a while the family will get, you know, get together and talk about the history of their family. Our grandfather came from here, and this is what they did, and my father did this, and, you know, uh, and it's passed on through the ages. But uh, the recreation and the gap theory are very similar in that, that there were millions of years between day one and day two. The day-age theory is another theory that they've come up with where days are not really days, and they get this, this comes from, and Christians kind of join in with this. They, we buy into this stuff, and, and it comes from when uh, Peter says, when he's talking about, he's actually talking about, he's not talking about creation, keep this in mind, he's talking about the goodness of God. And that he says that, you know, and he's talking about the promises of God. And he says that, that a day with God can be like a thousand years, and a thousand years can be like a day. And so we say, okay, well, you know, that's what he's talking about. Surely that, you know, a day is, is like a thousand years. Well, you know, even if you use that as, as your basis, it still doesn't add up. The most you can get out of what Peter said is 6,000 years. And they're talking about millions and billions of years of the earth being, you know, of that age. And so that, that, that won't fly. That doesn't work either. So... You know, I, 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 my, my belief is that I just believe the Word of God to be the Word of God. And I believe that, you know, when God says that He can do something in a 24-hour period, I believe that He can do it. I don't think that there, the Scripture says that nothing, nothing, everybody with me? Nothing is impossible with God. So that means creating the universe and creating, you know, stars and planets that are millions and billions and of light years away. I believe that the moment that God creates it, at the same moment, man can see it. Uh, otherwise, we would still be waiting today to see stars and planets that were so many light years away. So I think in order for us in our, in our attempt to be politically correct or to be scientific, scientifically correct, uh, that, you know, we buy into this. And we say, well, of course, you know, uh, there, there's, a, there's a time gap here, so this is the logical reason or this is the logical answer. You know, if scientists are saying that the world is a billion years old, then somehow we have to try to justify that and the way that we justify it is either through the gap theory 
or through the day age theory that days were really not 24-hour periods of time, but they were millions and billions of years that God took to create the heavens and the earth. But uh, let me just use Exodus chapter 20, uh, 11 for example. It says that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay? So, when it comes to that day of rest, if the earth is really, I mean, if, if, if a day is really a, a billion years or multi-million years, how, how many days or how many millions of years are you going to be able to rest in order to to make that fit what the scripture's saying. Isn't it a lot easier to just take what the scripture says? And I know that we've had this. I know some of the younger people here, you're in high school or colleges, you've had this pounded into you that Christianity is wrong, that you know there's a, there's a fracture here, there's a, a break in the dam here, and, and this proves it. You know, this scientific evidence proves it. But... Uh, you know, does it really? If you believe science, yes, there's a crack. If you believe God, then no. Um, just also, let me just go back to that, uh, the, the uh, darkness being a part of this creation, but not a part of the new creation. In Revelation chapter 21, uh, the, John is writing here through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he said, I saw no temple in this new heaven and this new earth, for the Lord God the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and the lamp is the Lamb. Again, comparing the first creation with the second creation. So they don't need a, a sun or a moon in the second creation because God is there, and he gives re, the reason, you know, that God's, God's presence is there. But when we talk about you know, again, why he gave the sun and the moon. He says he gave it for, uh, for signs and he gave it for seasons and for uh, years or days and years, for signs. Let's just take it, let's just break it down. He says he gave it, he gave the, the sun and the moon and the stars for signs. In Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens, without saying a word, are declaring or telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hand. The heavens are. At night when you look up, you know, the natural mind, I mean, even the natural mind will look up and see the billions of stars there and say that, you know what, you know, I mean, we do, we do this all the time. I mean, we just say that, well, it just happened. It just happened. And we don't really put God in the mix. It just happened. But you would never, ever say the same thing if you were taking a hike up in the mountains and you found a Coke can laying there on the side of the trail. You would never say, it just happened. It was just part of creation. No, you, the logical mind would say, I mean, some idiot was up here and threw this down as trash, you know, and I'm going to pick it up and haul it out. Or if you saw a Rolex watch on the side of the trail, you would, and ticking and keep, keeping perfect time, you'd never say that, oh, it just happened. You wouldn't say that. 
you would look at it and say there is a creator or a maker behind this, just as we should when we look at the heavens and the earth. And God's saying, if you're not going to say it, the heavens are going to declare the very glory of God. And they do it every night and every evening at sunset. When we see the sun going down, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And so they are declaring the work of his hand. And Joel chapter 2 verse 31, it says that I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's what we were talking about earlier. We were talking about the tribulation period. In the tribulation period, just before the Lord comes back, we see these signs in the heaven. And, you know, when we mark time, when we think about time, you know, that we, we think about, you know, as we think about numbers, we think that 10 is greater than 9, 11 is greater than 10. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, going to a higher, you know, uh, we're, we're always counting up with numbers. But numbers to God is a countdown. He is counting down. The day that we live in is a countdown to a day that is coming, and that is the day of the Lord, the coming of the day of the Lord. And we are counting down to that, and we are closer to that today than we were yesterday or last week or last year or 10 years ago. We are closer to the coming of the day of the Lord. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Remember what Isaiah said to Hezekiah? He said, son, get your house in order. Well, he didn't say it like that. But he did say, get your house in order. He said, because you're getting ready to die. And, you know, Hezekiah's like, man, remember my goodness. Remember all the things that I've done for God. And I've got to die right now. And he, began, he fell on his face, and he began to weep, and he began to cry, and, and you know, he's just brokenness. And, and Isaiah has delivered the word, and he's walking out the gate, and God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've heard his cry. Go back and tell him that I've added how many years? Say it again. Fifteen? Anybody got a number higher than that? I think that's what it is. He said, I'm going to give you 15 more years because I, I saw the brokenness of your heart. I'm going to extend your life. That's what God did. All right. So there's signs. There's seasons. We know that. Uh, the, you know, the, these, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars are given for signs. They're given for seasons. We all know this song or this scripture. Uh, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven. In Genesis uh, chapter 8, it says, While the earth remains, this is like a covenant promise with God, from God to us, seed, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. God, this is God's promise. Uh, the stars in the heaven, the sun and the moon and the stars. And the days of the years for the telling of time and for counting. Um, and then in verse chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, just kind of moving along in the scripture, it says, God said, let their waters abound. Here's another. This is the second uh, space that God is filling. He says, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Now, which heaven are we talking about now? All right. This is that first heaven, right? This is the atmosphere. 
where birds will fly. Uh, it's the air that we breathe. It says, let birds fly across the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heaven. And so God created great sea creatures and everything living, every living thing that moves uh, with which the water abounds according to the kind, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let the birds multiply the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beast of the earth according to its kind. Uh, the Hebrew word for cattle just means animals that can be domesticated, uh, beast or, you know, wild animals that, you know, even today, I mean, while you might bring, you know, a wild cat or a lion or something into your home and you may think that... Uh, uh, you have it tamed at any moment that and you hear about it a lot. You know, uh, zookeepers that think that they've made pets out of, you know, uh, some beast and then it turns on them and, and kills them. It's in their instinct. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now here we have on this uh, fifth day... Um, the um, uh, something that God has created different. He's, he's created plants and trees and herbs on the on the on the fourth day, but here on the fifth day, um, God's created something different. He's created something that has breath and it has life and it has you know it, it uh, has blood and it has a, a skeletal frame like we have and it has a nervous system like we have and. Uh, you know, blood like we have, uh, you know, just very similar, but we'll find out in a moment that there's a, a great difference between the two. But, uh, you know, it, it, and so much different than, you know, than plants. When, when plants die, you know, it's, it's, not like a, it's not like a big thing unless you're at the Sebesta household when uh, Nina's out of town uh, and I'm in charge of the garden. And... Uh, and then it's very a very serious thing when you didn't water the garden <laughs> and everything's dead. Um, but uh, so so we see that the plant life is different than the animal life. I mean, there is a sense of mourning and loss. You know, if you have a cat or a dog that you become attached to, if that animal dies, you know, there's a, a sense of loss and a sense of mourning uh, that you know that God. You know, God created them, and and uh, and they are they are different. Uh, they have what is called kai nefesh. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that that right. It means that he. It's a Hebrew word for the breath of life. Plants don't have the breath of life in them, but animals do, and so do we. And so, uh, you know, we see this this day. Uh, you know, God creating something a little bit different. And all along this creation, you know, I, I just want to, you to just keep asking yourself, if we were to stop at any point, you know, the question has got to be in your mind, why? Why, why is God doing this? You know, what, what is he doing? What's the whole purpose? What's the plan? God, what are you thinking? You know, why? Why light? Why darkness? Why water? Why sky? Why air? Why, why birds? Why fish? Why plants and trees and herbs? Why? God, what are you doing? And then we see in verse uh, 26 that, uh, 
God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. And God created man in his own image and he created him male and female and he created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is the first command that man gets, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. As we think about this is, this is God's, you know, crowning glory over creation is man. He created everything and everything is coming to this. This is the climax of God's creation. This is God's crown glory over creation. He says, and he tells uh, Adam and Eve at that time, we, we find that out from chapter 2, that I've given you every herb and uh, that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree uh, that uh, fruit uh, yields seed, so that you shall be uh, you shall have food. Also to every beast of the of the earth and every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food. And so it was. And so here's something that you need to understand: that this is going to be true in the millennial reign and also in the new heaven and the new earth. That in the beginning, God created all of the herbs and the trees uh, and, and all of the fruit and all of the vines for man to eat. And, you know, we were not uh, carnivores during that time. We, we didn't eat meat. They were vegetarians, okay? And that we, did, we don't see that until after the flood that God allowed men to, to eat uh, meat. It was, you know, they were um, vegetarians. And so there was no animal that was afraid of man. I mean, it was just like, you know, it was just like one big happy family. Um, and the birds and, and the beast of the field, you know, and why did he do this? Why, why did he set it up this way? Because in order to eat meat, something would have to die. And there was no death. There was no death until sin came. And when sin came, then death came. Death was the result of sin. And he goes on in verse 30, he says, I have given you every green herb for food, and so it was. And God saw that everything that he'd made, indeed, it was very good. It wasn't just good. He said it was good on, on five days of creation. He said everything was good. And on the last day, it says that it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I want you to notice something. We didn't read it here, but you can read it in, in Genesis chapter 2. That it talks about how God spoke everything into being. He spoke the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the birds and everything, the light, you know, everything he spoke into being. But when it comes to man and some of the animals, but when it comes to man, it's like God gets involved. It's almost like God stops and he says, you know what? I'm making something so special that I am just going to stop doing it the way that I did it before. I'm not just going to say, let there be man and have man show up. 
I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get in the dirt. I'm going to dig up some, some earth, and I've got it in my hand. And it's almost like uh, the, the, the scripture, I think, from Jeremiah that talks about the potter and the clay makes a lot more sense when we understand it this way, that God's saying, I'm going to, like, like a potter forming clay, I am going to shape and mold man the way that I, I, I personally want to be involved in this, the crowning the crown jewel of my creation, I want to be so personally involved in his life. And God shapes and molds man, and there he has man. And it says that he breathed the breath of life into him, and man became a living being. And then I'm going to skip. I've already read, well, it's, it's on the overhead. Just going back to Isaiah chapter 65 talking about the millennial reign and the new heaven and the new earth. It says, The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food, and they will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's the way that it's going to be in the future, just the way it was in the beginning of the first uh, few days of creation. That's the way it was then, and that's the way it will be then. And so, still asking that question, you know, why? Why, God? Why are you doing it this way? Why did you do it this way? And it says that God placed a man and took him and put him in the Garden of, of Eden to tend it and to keep it. To tend it and to keep it. And that word means to be a servant. That God really created man, created Adam to be a servant. I want you to think about this for a second. God didn't need a gardener. He needed someone that would love him and be obedient to him. And so here we are, you know, we fast forward a couple of thousand years from then and we come to Jesus' time and Jesus chooses some men, some disciples and says that, you know, I want you to be you know, the servant is not greater than the master. And uh, we read last week out of Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, we started out, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so God created man to be a servant, to tend and keep the garden. That's all he was supposed to do. And then we see here, he says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So we see a, prom a commandment and a promise. And we always think of promises as something positive. But in this particular case, it isn't. God says, I'm giving you a commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat of it, you will die. That's, there's a commandment and there's a promise. And so Adam and Eve, you know, sit there. He said, of every tree in the garden you can eat. You can have every tree of the garden. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. Whatever you want. Just take it. There's just one tree. I don't think there's anything special about the tree. I don't think there was a sign in front of the tree, like keep off the grass, kind of a sign. Keep off the tree. 
I mean, think about it. If God wanted to, he could have made the branches of that tree 200 feet high so that Adam couldn't get to it. But God put this tree in the garden to test Adam to see, are you going to be willing to obey me? Are you going to obey me? Are you going to choose your own will and do what you want to do? Are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe yourself? Are you going to believe the devil? When the devil says, oh, go ahead and eat of it, you're not going to die. Well, we know that Adam ate of the tree, Eve ate of the tree. They both lived. Adam lived over 900 years, so he didn't die. So what did God mean? So God said that when you eat of that tree, you're going to be separated me. You're going to be separated from me. And God drove man and woman out of the garden. All right, let me wrap this up. With that, with that last page. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, talking about Adam when he sinned, sin entered into the world and it came to everybody. You were born into sin. And death reigned through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Because all have sinned. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says, Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, and in Christ all are made alive. Now God told Adam, don't eat the tree, that if you eat the tree you're going to die. And then God also says in Christ, through Christ, that if you believe in me, that whosoever confesses me as, as Lord, if you believe in your, in your uh, if you First, Romans chapter, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, here comes a commandment. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, God told Adam, it's the word of God. And God told Adam, if you eat of the tree, you're going to die. And so then God's saying, okay, I mean, death is everywhere. I mean, everybody, it's like a disease. Everybody's carrying death around. But he says, if you want to get rid of it, if you, if you want to, you know, get back to where we were in the beginning, where it was, you know, God and Adam in the beginning, in the garden, walking daily in the garden, he's saying, if you want to get back to that, this is how you do it. You believe in my son, Jesus, and I'll start taking you back to that. And, and yes, we still have sin and we still struggle, but you are born again if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are working your way back to the same kind of man that Adam was in the garden. It's called transformation or sanctification. God is doing a work in us so that we can be like Adam, like Adam was you know, when he was in the garden with God. And I promise you on the day that you die, you won't be perfect in this life, but on the day that you die, you will be just like Adam. Amen? Amen. That's the way it is. So, let me just close it with Ephesians chapter 2.10. It says that we, that's talking about you and I, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God created you for good works. Just as he created Adam, he told Adam, you're going to be my servant, you're going to be my caretaker, take care of the garden. Or we don't have a garden to take care of him anymore. But I tell you what, if you just take a moment and just kind of look around this room, there's a lot of taking care 
that needs to be done for one another, to honor one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. There's a lot of work to be done outside of this room because there's a whole world of lost people that are still thinking that, you know, that, that, that we just, man just somehow evolved and, and kind of, you know, climbed out of the ocean and evolved into what we are today. And there's a lot of people that believe that, you know, that this isn't a literal 24-hour period, but it's millions and billions of years. And with love and a desire to do what God has asked us to do, he says to the disciples, he says, I want you to go into all the world, teaching them the things that I've taught you, how to be saved, about forgiveness of sin, about eternal life, teaching those things baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, well, what, today is the day of Pentecost, by the, by the way. So, happy Pentecost to you. Uh, but shortly after Pentecost, when the men and women realized that they had murdered the Messiah, and they asked Peter, what do we do? And he says, here's a commandment given to Peter from Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God, we are his workmanship. The series that we're starting is called, uh, as I mentioned, we had done it you know, a number of years ago, uh, The Life That God Rewards. And God rewards your work, your labor. When You know, Peter says, Lord, look, we've given up houses and wives and children and businesses. We left our nets. We left our boats. We left everything. And Jesus said to him, he said, Peter, not only will you be blessed in this life, but you'll be blessed in the one to come. I know that we all want that. And what you only get, there's no dress rehearsal. There's no, uh, what is it called in golf? A, uh, a do-over? A, a mulligan, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no do-over. This is it. This is our one shot at life to do what, what God has asked us to do. Now, we can, you know, be disobedient like Adam was to some degree. We can say, God, you know what? Tend your own garden. I, I got, you know, I got other things. I got stars to count. I got, you know, nuts together. I'm a businessman, God. You know, I, I got business to do. Or we can, Jesus said, you can, you know, if you want to save your life, you, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. And he's asking each of us. And he's not asking you to do something that's impossible because he says when you receive the Holy Spirit, that he gave you a gift. There is a gift deep within inside you. And, you know, many people take that gift to the grave. It's never used. It's like a, a present that has never been opened. And God's saying, I've given you a present. I've given you a gift to use, to uh, edify and exhort and build up the body of Christ. And he said, would you use it? Would you use it to advance the kingdom of God? I'm asking you today, will you use it to advance the kingdom of God? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. God, we see that just the beauty of your creation, 
I know it was a long chapter, but there's, there's so much, just so the richness of the Word of God and the beauty of your creation, God, we just see it just, it just screams out. As we walk out these doors, we'll see green grass and we'll see trees with leaves and, and knowing that, God, that was, these were things that were brought about by you and only you. It wasn't an accident that, God, you created we look up into the sky and breathe the air and uh, see the birds flying. We know that all of that is part of your creation. But we also know that, God, that you created man and you created him for a purpose. Not just to breathe air, not just to waste time. That you created him as a servant to you and to your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us a servant's heart. Lord, I think about the parable of the two boys. And the father told both of those boys to go work in his vineyard. And one of them said, I'll go. And he didn't go. And the other one said, I will not go. And he ended up going. And Jesus asked the religious leaders, which of the son did the father's will? And he said, the one that went and worked in the vineyard. God, you have placed us in Santa Fe. It's not an accident that we're here at the light, that we're in this beautiful city, but there's work to be done for the kingdom in the city. Lord, show us each our part. All of our work is different. It's not the same. You give us each uh, different gifts and talents, and I pray that you would show us by the power of your Holy Spirit how to use them. Now, let me just, uh, before I release you, just with still with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'd like for our prayer ministers to come forward at this moment. If you guys would just come forward, line up against this wall and the front wall uh, up here. If today you heard God's voice, and we talked about it, we talked about it six times, and God said, and God said, and God said, have you heard God say something to you today? Have you heard God calling your name? Have you heard God? Have you heard the voice of his Holy Spirit? Is he calling you into salvation today as one that should be a partaker of eternal life? Is he calling you today? If he's calling you, don't be afraid. Like Adam, raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Is he calling you today? Thank you. Anybody else? Is God calling you today? Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. And I just want to pray this prayer with you. And, you know, there's no magic. There's no uh, mystical words to say. It's just simply an honest heart before God, just saying, God, I know that today I know that you are the creator, and you created mankind. I understand that I'm a sinner, and I've been disobedient just like Adam was. And I want to receive eternal life today. I choose life over death. I choose your son Jesus over disobedience. I choose to serve you. And I'm willing, Lord. I give you my life. I, and I want to love you with all of my heart, my, my soul, and my strength, God. And I choose Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would wash me in the Lamb's blood and that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life today. Lord, that... I, too, want to receive an inheritance among those that are saved. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. God bless.